Austin Found is sponsored by The Store at the LBJ Presidential Library. Shop online for unique items related to all areas of the Johnson administration and Lady Bird's interests shipped right to your doorstep. Details at lbjstore.com. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. And this is the Austin Found Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. And I know in the past we've talked about greasy spoons and dives. Today we're going to talk about a legendary place that I don't doesn't really fit into either of those no, categories. Not at all. No, no, it's a it's a wonderful family restaurant. Yeah, uh, but not a greasy spoon, not a dive. Actually, just more of an iconic East Austin. True family-owned Mexican restaurant. Actually, was one of the best, and unfortunately, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, LS Teca. When I first came to town in 84, it was our restaurant of choice, and we ate there many, many times under the, the colorful calendars that hung on the wall. Yeah. And with the great characters behind the counter, and uh, we just loved it. I, I, you know, I had a lot of experiences there, too, uh, you know, I, having done a radio show for like 20 years, we would always try to venture out and try new places. Right, right. And get out of your bubble. It's easy to fall into a rut of going to like the same three or four places. Uh, on a whim, we went to El Azteca probably late December. And I, the reason I remember the month is because they did have the calendars. Yes. They yes. had rolled out the big calendars. And so that became a tradition. Mm-hmm. To go there every year, we would go there, and and not to divert from this, but also Kim Fung would do an annual calendar, <laughs> <laughs> and every December we would go to both those places, and we'd be calling them. And people, going, people go, from all calendar? over the world internationally would collect those calendars. Yeah, Aztecas, so. I mean, how would you describe the calendar? They just had traditional art. Well, they had um, uh, what were Aztec images. Um, that were done in a way that was um, exaggerated and fun and c- colorful at the same time. And, yeah, they were a lot of fun. It's weird. We're talking about a restaurant and just going off on the calendar. Well, that was but a big part of the if you, I know. And if you saw – and I have these distinct memories of them just being so welcoming mm. and friendly. And we chatted for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if you go back – I mean, say this – the first time we did it was maybe 15 to 20 years ago, right? Going to East Austin, you know, a gringo going on East 7th and and ducking in there wasn't exactly the norm. Well, I always felt completely welcome, and I lived in East Austin and um, in in several different places in East Austin, and uh, I I never felt any hostility. But but I know what you mean. If you were raised on the west side of Austin, you would have that uh, trepidation. but interestingly, the, the, the family is what drew me in, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I got to know them. And uh, Jorge Guerra was a, a tremendous man and a big pillar of the community. He uh, was one of the businessmen 
that were known uh, in the middle of the 20th century as a patron. He was one of those people that uh, the community went to when they needed something from the city or the county or the state, and he would go as the ambassador of the community. And there were several other men of his age that performed that role. Hmm. And uh, among them was Mr. Estrada from Estrada's Cleaners, which was next door. Ah, And just for time reference, it opened in 1963 on East 7th. Now, he had a military background, too. That's right. He originally was from northern Mexico, and he, outside of Monterrey, and he, um, uh, uh, his family, like so many families on both sides of the border, crossed back and forth daily, sometimes multiple times a day. He worked in a family restaurant on, on the other side of the border. And then he ends up in the Marines, and he goes to uh, Korea just as the war is ending, and he's stationed in Korea and Japan. So here he is working several jobs once he comes back, and he sees this little place on East 7th Street, and he goes, that's where I want to open a business. And luckily, there was a for rent sign. And uh, I love the, the his story about the first day of business. He said, um, we opened at 3 p.m., May 10th, 1963. I have the record, $17.53 in sales, (laughs) which was a lot of money. So, um, But the whole family worked there, and his son ran it afterwards. I've heard rumors he might be bringing that whole, the the family recipes back, but uh, I'm not sure if that's true. Interesting. And on the note of the recipes, at the time, they couldn't even get authentic ingredients That's right. in Austin. That's right. They had to go to San Antonio. They, they, they served a lot of dishes that were quite authentic and not just the cheese enchiladas with the you know Spanish rice on the side, as they used to call it, and um, pinto beans. But <laughs> they actually had menudo, and they had all kinds of things that... Uh, you just couldn't get anywhere else. What they couldn't get in Austin, which was most things authentic, they would grow mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> or go to San Antonio. Yes, they would grow them themselves, um, the peppers and things like that, which were easy to grow. But they'd go to San Antonio, and then he was down in San Antonio for uh, ad, you know just to pick up things, and he saw um, some Mexican beer, Corona, and he said, um, give me a couple cases of that. At that time, and this is hard to believe, Corona was unknown in town. That's wild. I mean, at one point, I think in the 80s or 90s, it was the number one beer in the city. Right, right. But he brought in all of the Dos Equis. Yeah, we all discovered it on spring break in South Padre. Negro Modelo. He brought (laughs) all of those into town. Wow. He was a pioneer. And then literally growing peppers in the back, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think is very cool. Austin Found is brought to you by the LBJ Presidential Library. More info at lbjlibrary.org. Well, the other thing that's so significant about LS Tech, and not just great food and, 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 and this great man, but he seemed to have a direct pipeline with city council oh, and he, on changing that area. Yes, yes. The creek behind there, uh, the Boggy Creek, flooded like several times a year. And he led the charge to get uh, it channelized. Also, I mean, he, he 
everyone on the city council knew him. He called uh, Ben White, namesake for Ben White Boulevard. Again, Uncle Ben. <laughs> again, uh, what I love about this podcast is starting to put all those names all together. Those names together. City council member Ben White. Yes, and he also got to know uh, Congressman Pickle, mm-hmm. whose constituent service office was like first class. If you had a constituent that needed something, he was going to get the federal government involved. And he got the Army Corps of Engineers involved in the channelization of that and uh, of that creek. And he all kinds of things. If there was a problem with traffic, if there was a problem with parking. They needed more law enforcement there yeah, at the time. And he was, a, he was very active in getting that done. Right? Absolutely. And then later, sadly... When the city decided to upgrade East 7th Street as the main corridor to the airport, that cut off his business and his parking. People couldn't get to it, mm-hmm. and the restaurant really suffered, and it was not long after that that also he had some family health problems. It was not long after that that, that they had to close. He made the decision to close. I don't want to gloss over this, uh, and again, it, it just... It's not that long ago. We've done shows about the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and the, the controversy over MLK Boulevard. When he would go to city council, he would be met and addressed with racial slurs. Uh, yes, he was. I mean, this is the 1960s, and that was. And we had some very conservative members on city council back then. Remember our episode on the attempt to get the civil rights. Uh, legislation here, mm-hmm. you know, ordinance here, the mindset of uh, half of the city council on on the record is astonishing today. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing. He scared that down. I think one of the things he had going for him was that he had plenty of time in South Texas and, and he served in the military. And that seems to always have been one of the things that, that helped those pioneers of civil rights because the military was was integrated before everything else. Yeah, I, I know you've mentioned on other episodes where things should be named after certain people. This guy comes to mind, although his name was changed when he went through immigration. That's right. That's right. They shortened it. I always thought when names were changed, you know, you think you more often think of Ellis Island, right? Right. A lot of people change their names to assimilate and mm-hmm. not be a standout or to, for discrimination. Or the people that were, that were uh, manning Ellis Island simply changed it for them. He said, I can't say that. You're instead this. Just doing the paperwork, right? right? And then I realize as, uh, you know, I'm reading the story about El Azteca in volume two of Indelible Austin. So the time frame, because when you wrote this was as when they were closing. So Yes. And uh, it, it, he died later. Actually, he died before that was published. Mm. And um, I uh, write a lot about elderly people and who've had full lives and great stories. And, and that's part of my beat. And they know the history. They live the history. But uh, um, it's happened to me uh, several times where the the source, the subject, has passed away by the time the story comes out. And I was working on one this summer with the niece of a woman who's a principal at at Austin High, Jackie McGee. She passed away before Mm. I could interview her. And uh, it always, you know, tears me up. But you know, I I luckily had the help in this case of a wonderful leader, East Austin leader named Lonnie Limon, 
his family goes way far back. I, I, we may have talked a little bit about that. They have like 3,500 relatives oh, uh, wow. that have been documented. But he got to know all these lions of the East Side, especially the Latino mm -hmm. leaders that had become patrons. And he wanted me to know them. And he was a, a wonderful friend and, and introduced me to a lot of the guys that I would never have been able to have access mm -hmm. to. So it, it, it turned out to be a sad story, but a, a wonderful story at the same time. Uh, a lot of memories at El Azteca. It was a horrible storm of certain things that caused the closing. Right. Uh, his wife had diabetes and he, he needed to be a caretaker. Yeah, she had a stroke. And the construction, which you mentioned, which took some of the parking and right. made it a, an obstacle to get in there for some time. And again, a recurring theme of our Austin iconic restaurants is taxes. P property taxes. Uh, he was very vocal about that when I interviewed mm -hmm. him. He said, well, there's been no improvements on the property. Why did the pro taxes keep going up? Mm -hmm. and, and they even took some of his parking. And they took some of his parking. So, yeah. It, so many things went wrong in that case, and we lost a, 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 a lovely, iconic restaurant. Well, hopefully you have one of those calendars <laughs> to hang on to. <laughs> to. As a sweet reminder. You said a lot of people collect them. That's even more valuable now. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. Pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. This is out of volume two. There are three volumes available right, and, and as of this recording. I know there's more coming at some point. Uh, well, actually, I am <laughs> actively working on volume four. So I've given people context. <laughs> if they're listening to this years from now, there may be a fourth or fifth. Who knows? But uh, I'm pretty at, sure there'll be at least a fourth. <laughs> okay. At the timing of this recording in 2020, there are three volumes available. Thanks for tuning in. This is Austin Found. Bye.